moms are just incredible, and I know today's a very special day for many of you. Some of you have difficult um, memories with mom, and uh, someone else has stepped in that role for you. And so today really is a, a celebration of those that have, have, the women who've poured into our lives, who've been mothers or mother figures for us. And so I pray that God has placed someone in your life like that that's helped influence you and made you to be the person you are today. Our daughter um, said when she got married she wasn't going to have kids because she had taught kids, babysat kids, saw enough of kids, didn't want anything to do with kids, and then she got pregnant and her whole life changed. And she ended up having two more kids. She had three kids, which blessed us with three grandkids. And it was amazing what began to change within her, even how she approached life, how she dealt with people. And it was really a beautiful transformation. And it reminds me of, of, as we become Christians, God changes us from who we were to who he wants us to be into the new people we're becoming. We began to talk about that last week in this chapter of Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul says it's kind of like uh, joining a team, like a sports team. When, when a player leaves another team and joins, say, the Denver Broncos or, say, they draft that person, one of the things that person does is put on the uniform. This is, what it, this is the Denver Bronco uniform. I'm part of the team. This is what we look like. And so it doesn't matter what position they play. They could have different skills, different abilities, different histories, longevity. It doesn't matter. All that variety comes together in this one commonality. We all wear the same uniform. We're all on the same team. And Paul's been going through this chapter of Ephesians 4 saying there's a lot of variety in the church. There's different gifts, different abilities, different levels of maturity. All that is true. But yet there's a common uniform we all wear, and that uniform is the image of Christ. And so if you have a Bible, I want to share with you where we left off last week. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God into righteousness and holiness. So he says there's, there's an old me. There's an old way I used to live. And I'm to, to shed that and to put on this, this new wardrobe that God has given me. But in order to do that, I've got to have this change of mindset because I can't do it on my own. It's impossible. I need God's help to do it. God's going to have to help change me so I desire that. But here's the message I want you to take home today, that, that I've been made new, so I will become the person I am to be in Christ. So I've been made new, but it doesn't mean that all the changes have already happened. It just means they're, they're, some have happened, but a lot of them are potential. They're, they're waiting to happen. That's why Paul says, you've got this new wardrobe. Put it on. It's, it's new. It's yours. But you have a part to play in this. And so you have to discard some things to make room for the new things. And we're going to go through that in some detail today, real quickly, because Paul identifies five separate areas in the rest of the chapter. But I want you to know that as we go through this, uh, there's going to be truth that affects every one of us. There's going to be part of this where you go, oh, that's me, that's where I'm struggling. Because we're all in different um, places of spiritual growth. I would say we're all in places of recovering from our own brokenness due to sin, We've got issues. Sometimes they're environmental. Sometimes they're part of our family background. Sometimes they're just about my personal wiring, struggles that I have that other people don't have. So, so all of us have issues, right? There's nobody in this room that doesn't have sin issues. And so we're all in the same boat today. And what I want to make sure that, that we realize is 
You have your issues, I have my issues, but we're all heading the same direction to be more like Jesus and what it looks like in my context of life. And what that requires is grace for each other. Because sometimes Christians, and and I can be guilty of this too, we see things from our perspective and we point out certain things that we don't like or certain big sins, when in reality we all have sins that we're dealing with. And so we want to make sure the church is a safe place to kind of deal with your stuff. I, I, I admit my stuff. I've got issues. I'm trying to grow. You're trying to grow. We're on the same team. Let's go in that same direction. So I want to make sure that, that if, you've, if you're coming from a place where you go like, man, I've got a lot of stuff. A pastor, if you knew my stuff, you, you wouldn't want me in your church. No, I'm, I want you in this church because I've got my stuff too. And you need to know this. Remember last week I shared all the kind of bad things that were part of the Ephesians' life before they knew Jesus? Really, the bottom line was they were living in a way that cut them off from God. When they were way over here, that's when Jesus died for them. So you need to understand this. When you were at your very worst, that's when God loved you tremendously. When you were mindless about God, when you didn't care about church, when when you were cursing God, he said that's when God sent his son to die on a cross for you. So if God loved you in your worst state, no matter what you're dealing with now, no matter how many times you've fallen on your face, you need to know this. God's not mad at you. God's not here to shame you and condemn you. He sent his son to to forgive you, but he doesn't want to leave you where you were. He wants to repair the brokenness and bring you to this new place, this new me, this new person I am in Christ. And so that's what I want to talk today is how do we get from the old me to the new me, the new person that God is making me to be in Christ. And so we're going to go through this, like I said, real quickly in Ephesians chapter 4, and there's the discarding of the old, there's a putting on of a new, and in almost every case, Paul tells why that's critical. So here we go with the first one. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let us each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Because I'm being made new, I will be thoroughly truthful. Thoroughly truthful. He, said, he says to put off falsehood. And I find it interesting that this is the very first thing he attacks because we go like, oh, lying, that's not a little big sin in our culture. Everybody, you know, fibs a little bit. It's not a real big issue. But you need to know the very first sin in the Bible was predicated on a lie. God didn't say that. You're going to try to, you know, Satan comes in and tells Adam and Eve, you're going to believe God in this? How to believe me? They believed the lie and sin entered the world. The very first sin you probably struggle with in your own life, I know it was for me, was lying. You know, I'm a little kid. I find out the magic words that if I, if I twist my words a little bit, I don't get in trouble. Or my brother gets in trouble. You know, I get the permission to go to my friend's house. If I lie a little bit, I get out of doing my chores. I get all these things because the magic of just twisting a few little words. And we may think a little lie isn't very damaging, but let me compare it to this. This was an old youth group activity we did made a batch of brownies, put it up before the kids. It looked really delicious. Kids were salivating about the brownies. Then we announced to the kids, hey, these brownies are here for you. And uh, we made a big batch, made a double batch, but you need to know we just put a, a quarter cup of dog poo in it. Okay? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And you don't actually know where it is, but it's, it's in there. Nobody wants to eat it. Everyone lost their appetite. Like, ah. Well, that's what a lie does. A little bit of lie. truth, 1% lie, spoils everything. And you need to know that when you lie, you're speaking a foreign language. We weren't made to lie. 
Lying is the language of the devil. Jesus says he's the liar and the father of lies. And so God wants to change this. He says, I don't want you acting like the devil. I don't want you going down that path learning his dialogue because it's going to destroy relationships. And so I want you to be a person of truth. When David sinned against Bathsheba, it's a story in the Old Testament, he committed adultery, and then he tried to cover it up, tried to lie about it, didn't come clean, then the prophet Nathan came and confronted him. In Psalm 51, in the midst of that psalm, David says this. He said, you delight in truth in the inward being. And what Paul's talking about here is not just truth in the words you say, but truth that goes way down from here. Like, I can't even lie. See, the Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. And the closer you get to Jesus, the harder it's going to be to lie. And I know that for a fact in my life. I had a hard time a month ago when our grandson, excuse me, our grandson was born. And because it wasn't mine to announce, um, because we were in a very um, frightening situation, we didn't know if, if Rowan was going to make it. And so the kids said, you can't tell anybody yet because it's ours to tell, but we're not ready to announce it to the world. So I had to come to church and I thought, how am I going to answer someone that says, hey, pastor, how's that grandbaby coming along? Is he born yet? And I thought, uh, I can't tell him he's not born because he is. Um, how do I get around this without lying? And so do you know what I did? I just avoided people on Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm sure there's an answer I could have given that would have been fair. But I couldn't, I couldn't come up with it. And I said, I'm just going to have to avoid people because I can't make it up. I can't, I can't falsify the information. Now, there are times in life where you don't have to give all the information. I don't, I, don't, I don't consider that lying unless your intent is to deceive them. But sometimes, like our children, there's issues mom and dad are having over here. You don't give all the, idea, all, all the details to your seven-year-old. You know, there's, there's stuff that, that in, in, when you're a boss, you don't tell everybody else what happened to that employee. It's not that you're lying, it's just, it's TMI. It's too much information. It's information you don't need. All you need to know is like, mom and dad are having some issues right now. They're struggling. Or, or someone was let go or something. But you need to, to trust that those, the people are giving you the information are giving you what you need to know. We want to be truthful in the inward parts. And sometimes that means you have to do the difficult thing of speaking the truth even when it hurts. Now, I'm not talking about brutal honesty. I think that's overused. People have been judgmental, critical of saying, I'm just being brutally honest. I'm talking about lovingly honest. I'm talking about sitting down with your son or daughter or with, with your friend and say, hey, I love you enough to tell you this hard truth. And the reason I'm telling you this is because I really, really care for, care for you. And I want, I, want you, I want the best for you, but what you're doing is hurting you. What you're doing is hurting your you know, relationship with your kids or your, your spouse or someone else. It's leading you down a bad path, but I care enough. Some of us wimp out. We go, oh, I want to be the nice friend. I never want to step on toes. I don't want to offend someone, so I'm not going to speak the truth. But if you do it out of love, I'll tell you this. If you have a friend who's willing to say the hard things in love, that person becomes a treasured friend. Because most people don't care enough for us to have the hard conversations. So he says, speak the truth in love. Why? Because we're part of the body. We relate to one another. We're part of the body. And every relationship is built on a thing called trust. And you cannot have trust without honesty. I, I can put up with a lot of um, character flaws, a lot of bad habits, but one that I have no tolerance for is deceitfulness. How can, you, how can you do anything with a deceitful person? Why would you want to marry a deceitful person? Why would you want to hire a deceitful person? Get rid of it all. Get rid of falsehood. Be an honest person thoroughly to the core. Secondly, let's go on to verse 26. 
26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What Paul's talking about here is being careful with your anger. Manage it well. He's not telling you don't be angry. In fact, the first two words are what? Be angry. And and he's not commanding you to be angry, like go get mad. He's just saying you're going to be angry. Anger is a God-given emotion. So just the fact that you're angry doesn't mean something's wrong. Um, There is a righteous anger and there's an unrighteous anger. Now, let's look at the righteous anger. A righteous anger is the kind of anger that God has. You know, when Jesus came into the temple, flipped over the tables, drove out the money changers with whips, he said, this shall not be a den of robbers. See, they were taking advantage of people coming to worship. And so if they had to buy a lamb, they had to buy it at, at high cost at the door, like buying a drink at a stadium, you know, $7 $7 for a coat. You know, they're buying the animal at the temple and they, and they jacked up the price. Making money because people say, I need a lamb. I've got to do the sacrifice. We travel the long distance and couldn't bring our animals and so they were taking advantage. Jesus was so offended by that. He was so offended when his disciples said, um, let the children, uh, drive the children away. They're bothering Jesus. It says Jesus became indignant with them. And so there are things that, that actually we should be righteously angry about. There should be injustices that unsettle us. When we see the, the, the poor taken advantage of by the rich, when we see uh, babies that, are, that are, are unborn and yet slaughtered, it, when we see um, young people trafficked for sexual purposes, doesn't that anger you? It ought to because it angers God. And so there's justice issues that ought to anger us. And he says, says there are times to be angry. And there are times where someone may anger us. They do or say, that's where this other kind of anger comes in and be careful with it. Because James warns us, um, James chapter one, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What is the anger of man? Usually the anger of man hits us in places where our pride is damaged or we are offended and hurt. Like you have no right to do that to me. One thing you'll notice about Jesus, Jesus never got angry with how people treated him. You could spit on Jesus, you could crucify Jesus, and he would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But you mess with my little children, you mess with the Gentiles whom I love, you, you, you mess with the weak and the poor and the widows and the orphans, then you're going you're to come to me and face me. But me, I'm a big boy, I can handle it. Jesus never retaliated when they attacked him personally. So he says, in the, in the anger, be careful, because Satan is trying to get a foothold. And if you let it simmer, that's why he says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't let, don't let the day pass without resolving it because it'll simmer and seed. You'll have anger fantasies. You'll have, you'll have words that'll be churning up in your head. You'll have bitterness and resentment uh, just working inside of you. And, and he says, that gives the devil a foothold. Nothing good's going to come out of this. Now, sometimes you need a little buffer. I don't recommend that, uh, that you quickly respond when you're angry. I don't do good things when I respond out of anger. I, I sometimes will write a note to someone who sends an email or see something on Facebook and I'll write it and I'll step away from it and I'll come back later and look at it and then hit delete. Because I know that if I would have responded when I wanted to, I would have, I would have provoked the other person and we would have gotten in this ping pong match of, of tit for tat. I don't want to get into that. But um, Paul says, don't let the sun go down. Deal with it quickly. Sometimes you need anger to say, hey, we need to talk about this. 
And I don't want it to drag out for days. And I don't want to be bitter. And I don't want to avoid you. We've got to talk about this. We're going to talk about it now. We're not going to give the devil a foothold. We're not going to be the husband and wife who sleep back to back or in opposite rooms because we can't deal with this. No, we're going to deal with it. And I love you enough to say, honey, we need to talk. And I would just recommend, if that's your situation, to start with you. Hey, what, what happened or what you said affected me like this? Don't go out with fingers pointing. You did this. You did that. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear you down. Say, no. When you said that, here's how it affected me. And you know what I find? You can quickly get past that. So got, got falsehood. Deal with that. Deal with the anger issues. And then, and then Ephesians uh, 4, 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So he says, have a reputation as a giver, not a taker. Now, you may think, Pastor, this is the easy one. I mean, this goes back to the Ten Commandments, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. I mean, it's a pretty basic rule. You don't take other people's stuff. We learned that as kids. But you know what? It is so common today for employees to rip off their employers, for people to cheat on their tax forms, for, for, you know, people are stealing Christmas presents off the front porches when UPS delivers them. I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, My assistant Connie ordered flowers, which you ladies will will receive on your way out today. The day after she ordered them, we got a call from the bank. And the bank said, hey, we just need to check with you. There's some charges on your credit card that look fraudulent. And in fact, there were three charges that were fraudulent that occurred in the 24 hours since those flowers were ordered. Someone somehow got a hold of that credit card number and was using it. That's a pretty big deal today. Um, Theft identity. When you take something that's rightfully someone else's, someone else pays a big cost for that. And I don't care if it's a corporation, it's our U.S. government, it's the neighbor next to you. If it's not yours, leave it alone. And he says, not only should we not steal, get a job. Work. And then he goes, he goes a step further. He says, work, work so hard that you'll actually have money that you can help the people that are poor so they don't have to steal. So you go all the way to the other side of things. You, move, you go from a taker to a giver. And only God can cause a transformation like that. The next one, let no um, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. I will be verbally encouraging. I will use my mouth for good. James chapter 3 is a whole chapter about the power of the tongue and how wild it can be. We can do great damage with our tongues. We can do great good with our tongues. And he says, he says exchange all the bad things, the vulgarity, the, 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 the rudeness, the harshness, the criticism, judgmental, the slander. Get rid of all those things. And be encouraging, be edifying, build people up with your words. So many of us have been encouraged because a mom spoke words into our lives as we were kids, and they believed in us. Those words were very powerful. Sticks and stones may break, my, may break my bones, but words penetrate me to the core. They do impact us. They do have power over us. I remember years ago I was reading uh, a book, as Reader's Digest, and there was a story by an elderly lady named Mary Bird. When Mary was young, she grew up in a, a little schoolhouse, and every year, they would do this hearing test in her class. Now, this year was especially worrisome because little Mary Bird grew up with a cleft palate. 
and her nose was crooked. She had a gap in her mouth. When she drank water from the water fountain, water um, poured out her nose. It was just kind of a, a messy situation. And so she, by the time she was seven years old, she said she was convinced that no one liked her or loved her. And then she went to Mrs. Leonard's class. Mrs. Leonard was a short lady with, with, with chubby arms and kind of a round figure, but beautiful, soft brown eyes. And she said when they came time for the hearing test that year, she had learned a way to cheat. See, she was deaf in one ear, and nobody else knew it. And she just didn't want to tell the class, there's one more thing defective with my body. So she learned that instead of putting her finger in her ear, if she just cupped her ear, she could hide it. And she could actually hear because the hearing test went like this. The teacher would sit in her desk and the student would stand by the door and put their finger in their ear and cover one and then listen and then do it on the other side. And then the student would repeat back to the teacher the the phrase or the word she whispered. So when it came to Mary Bird's turn, she stood at the door, but she didn't put her finger in her ear. She just cupped her, her good ear. And then she said the teacher spoke seven words that changed her life forever. Think about it, seven words. She said, alter the entire course of my life. Mrs. Leonard whispered to her, I wish you were my little girl. And that little girl felt loved. And as an elderly woman, she looked back at her life and said, that was the turning point in my self-esteem. A teacher who was not my mom said, I love you that much that you could be my little girl. With all your features, you are beautiful. You never know how powerful an encouraging word can be. And Christian, the Bible says words bring life. You can actually speak life into people through your words. Proverbs has so much to say about our speech. And I love this um, passage from From the book of Proverbs 25, verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So choose an aptly spoken word. A good word at the right time can be very powerful. And then Paul goes on to say, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He says here to be kind and forgiving. Because Christ has has made me to be this new person, I'll be kind and forgiving. Now I want to pause because he throws something here really interesting. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, you already heard that there's this enemy, the devil, at work, trying to get a foothold in our lives. Now he brings this other invisible spiritual being called the Holy Spirit and says, he's a person, and don't grieve him, because he's trying to do something in your life. He's trying to speak in your life. He's trying to guide you down a path in your life. And when you block him, when you resist him, you grieve him. And really, this passage points out the truth that there's there's a demonic voice speaking to us, and there's a Holy Spirit voice speaking to us, Both are trying to influence us. Both are trying to sway us, but they're trying to do it in opposite directions. And you and I get a choice of which one wins the day, the devil or the Holy Spirit. And so if you yield to the Holy Spirit, you'll do this. You'll be kind and forgiving. He lumps a whole bunch of words together, starts off with bitterness. We won't go through all these words, but let me just comment on bitterness. The Greek word for bitterness was a word that was associated with a plant that produced an inedible and poisonous fruit. Bitterness is the poison you drink expecting the other person to die. 
It is a, it is a poison within you. Bitterness and anger and clamor and rage and slander. You know, what comes out of our mouth? All this kind of ungodly stuff. He says, you know what? You just need to get rid of it all. Replace it with kindness, tenderheartedness, and compassion. You go, I can't do that. How am I going to do that? He says, here's how you do it. Look to Jesus because that's what he did for you. See, he never asked us to do what he hasn't done for us. And so when Jesus says, be kind and forgiving, just like I was to you, just like I was to you in the, in the depths of your sin, I was kind and tenderhearted and compassionate to you. That's the way I want you to be toward others. And see, Paul goes on, and he goes on into actually the start of the next chapter, and he wraps it up. It's almost like they make the, made the break two verses too early. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus paid a price. Sometimes in the path of forgiving someone, you absorb the pain, you absorb the hurt for the sake of someone else and the relationship. That's what Jesus did for us. He absorbed it. He took it upon himself. I was, uh, my wife and I went and watched a movie, uh, the movie The Greatest Showman. If you haven't seen it, it is a classic. It is so powerful. It's one of the few movies I've watched and said, man, I want to watch this again and again. And I love the music. It's just a great storyline. It's about P.T. Barnum and the origination of his circus and his bringing together this um, cast of misfits, odd people, the tallest man, the shortest man, the heaviest man, the bearded lady, and all these strange people. And he brings them together, all these outcasts, and says, you belong here. This is your new family. And they, they put on this incredible production. But there's a, a, a song in the show that I really love. It's when the bearded lady comes out and she sings a song that says, this is me. And in reality, this gal that sang the song, her name's Kiala um, uh, Sutton. She, or Settle, Kiala Settle, she didn't want to sing the song because it was such a bold song and she was a shy person. And they said, but you've got the voice. You've got to carry this. You've got to get into it. And she did and she owned the song and, and the song in the show just at a powerful time. And it starts off by saying, you know, here I am with all these broken parts and people tell us that we just need to hide in the dark because of our brokenness. And we're tired of that. This is, this, is, this is who we are. And as I listen to that song, I hear, a, I hear a secondary message in my head. Because there's a part of us that says, yes, this is who I am and this is my brokenness and this is all my broken parts. That's who I am. But this is who God's making me to be. And so when I hear the words, this is me, That's not who I am anymore. This is who I am. And the beauty of the Christian life is no matter what we've been through, no matter where we've been in our past, no matter how painful, hurtful, shameful it was, that's who we were. God loves us there, but he loves us too much to leave us there. He says, I've got a better you, better version of you. It's right over here. It's to be clothed in the likeness of Christ. That's the real me. That's the me God made you to be. So how do you do that? How do you begin that journey? Simply starts this way. The gospel is very simple. There's three, three parts to it. First of all is acknowledging the fact that I am a sinner in need of grace. I'm broken. I've done bad things. I'm hurt. I need help. So here's what God did through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and died on a cross for your sins. Jesus says, I'll take all that shame. I'll take all that pain. I'll go to the cross for you so that you can begin a new life, so you can be freed from your past. And all that requires of you and for me is to trust him, 
to put our trust and our allegiance in Jesus, leaning on him saying, Jesus, you can do what I can't do for myself. You can rescue me from this place. And maybe the greatest thing for some of you, especially you moms today, and you look back and say, I, I failed. I've not been the person that I, I've always should be. That's okay. He still loves you. But he wants to bring you to this place. This is the me we are continually being developed to be.